There are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Revenue Driven CMO. I am super duper excited for uh, today's show. Got a really interesting uh, guest here for you who, um, you know, sometimes we have CMOs and marketing leaders on the show who are kind of higher level. Uh, and and today's guest brings that higher level feel that comes with experience and leading large teams, but he also uh, can get down and dirty, nitty gritty still, like with you know some hands on demand gen and some tactical stuff, which is kind of where my background is. So I always love episodes where we get to um, talk about that. So today's guest, real badass uh, SaaS and fintech growth marketing leader, that's honed his his skills over the years at startups as well as high growth public companies. Currently, he's heading up marketing at Heartland Payment Systems, which is a very large uh, and impressive company. And he is Chris Allen. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Chris. Got a couple of Chris's. Glad to be here, man. Chris and Chris. Yeah, that should be easy to remember. And uh, I know you're a podcast host as well. And I know that this was your week of podcasting. So this will be kind of interesting to... uh, Yeah, being on the flip side. Yeah, right. That should be yeah, fun. Yeah, super good. Well, let's dive right in, man. I, um, you know, we're all about our secrets here at Revenue Driven yeah. CMO. What do you consider to be one of your best kept secrets to success in marketing? Yeah, you know, um, when you're in startup land, you got to wear a lot of hats as a marketer, and so you, you know, being a ninja, right, is is required. Yeah. The higher up you. Uh, like as the size of company, size of team increases, you got to have different secrets. Um, and so that, that's what I thought was really interesting to, to chat about because I'd say secret-wise, um, the thing that no one really taught me was how to inherit a team and uh, infuse sort of the cultural elements that you need to be able to grow, right? And yeah. really understand really quickly, you know, where... Uh, where people stand and how to move fast. Every CEO is like, hey, I'm going to bring in this hotshot. What's the fastest way you can deliver growth? Um, and th- that's the storyline you got to have is, okay, I, I can deliver growth uh, and I can be a performance-driven you know, head of marketing, but what am I working with? You know, and yeah. that's, that's the thing that I think has been uh, uh, the, uh, the biggest secret that really nobody talks about is how to inherit a team, figure out where they are and get to growth fast. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of CMOs can can uh, relate pretty much all of them. And especially because many CMOs, like the tenure, the average tenure is not all that long. Yeah. Um, so you've developed a framework, basically like a science almost to come into a team to quickly assess like, hey, who are these players that I have? What are their roles? What are their, you know, their key skill sets? How do you get the most out of them, you know, in the most kind of enjoyable way that that vibes with yeah. the culture. Um, tell us about that framework a little bit. Like what, like how does it work? Yeah. I, I like to say that um, CMO is the current marketing officer. Uh, <laughs> it, uh, it's the tenure is, is usually pretty short. Yeah. The ones that tend to stick around are the ones who can drive revenue. Um, and so there are really two techniques that 
um, that I use. I, I call it a hiring and management framework. Um, but I'm going to talk about, I'd say, two, two parts. One is to assess what role an individual could play on a team. So you can understand leadership, but you could also understand, uh, you know, the, the specific sort of contribution that they would make to a team. And then at the same time, on the other side is how do you assess people's skills really quick and get them to talk about that? Yeah. To get them to say some of the language that you need to understand. So um, happy to just, you know, dive into both of those real quick if you want Please. me to. Please. Yeah, absolutely. So, so on the role side, whenever I'm managing a team, right? If I'm coming in as a CMO, I've got either VPs or I've got other leaders under me, other managers at a minimum. And so what I try to do is I kind of work through the organization. I come in and I will, I will do a listening tour uh, and meet pretty much everybody I can on the team. At Heartland, we've got about a 60-person team. Mm-hmm. And I had to, had to do that work. So it's like a part of my 90-day plan is to come in and say, okay, let's get to forecasting really quick, but let's understand who we have. And so really the first two weeks is a listening tour and to really understand the people. And the basis for that is like, you know, you heard Peter Drucker, right? The uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. And I take that pretty seriously. And so role-wise, I try to understand which one of four an individual might primarily play. Okay. So mm-hmm. what, I, what I say is, and I do this in interviews and when I'm when assessing a team. So the, the questions that I ask them, like, hey, there's four different roles that anybody plays on the team. And as a leader, I need all four of those roles represented. And what I'm going to try and do is figure out if that individual, which seat they would sit on, which role they would play on the team. So you're either a producer, an entrepreneur, an integrator, or an administrator. Okay. And so I go through and I explain what, what, an, uh, what a producer is, what, what each of them are. And I say, which one do you most identify with and why? And so producer, this is somebody who's willing to color outside the lines to get work done. They are milestone driven, achievement driven, and it's, it may not always be perfect, but it tends to get done. Okay. Yeah. Um, entrepreneurs, these are ideas people. These are the people that are great to collaborate with, but they tend to not get work done. And that's why they need a producer and an entrepreneur, I mean, excuse me, an administrator next to them uh, to get work done and to keep it going. But they're the big ideas people. What's the next big thing? And so you need that entrepreneurial thought and that, that role on the team. The next one, the integrator. These are the people that are great at connecting systems or they're great at connecting people. I typically recognize an integrator when they have been in a meeting and they're like, I, why is you know Sue not in here? She needs to be in here because she plays this role. And they recognize what's missing. Yeah, And that's why you need the integrator. And then the administrator, it's like, I think of a rail system with a, bo- with a, a, tra- with a train. You got yeah. the rail system, you got all the boxcars, you know, you've got the schedule and you've got the checklist. And the administrator knows how to create all of those things. And, to, and checking boxes along the way to, to assure that work's done. But a lot of administrators, the work may or may not be done, but they have checked the box. So the quality yeah. of work isn't what I look for out of administrators. So I ask the, those people, which role do you sort of most identify with and why? And I typically want to have my, a producer, an integrator, an administrator around me because I tend to play the role of an entrepreneur on the team. Yep. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise, for sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's really interesting. I love that classification. Um, a couple questions come to mind, but I'm, I'm curious, like, so everybody on the team has to identify primarily with one of those things, right? Most people when I ask that question, they say, I identify with all of them, but this one more. Yeah. Right. But yeah. Um, and there's not necessarily any, uh, correlation between those buckets and the positions that tend to exist or is there for instance like so like could you have like you could have an seo person say that does organic search 
And they could be either an entrepreneur or an administrator in that role, or like you, you need it. a certain archetype in that role. You got it. I look at that, those roles as the substructure, you know? Okay. Um, that's what kind of sits that that's just, that's the people dynamic Yeah. that, um, when you're building a team, cause the skills is the other side, which, which, which is what you're talking about. And that's a whole different set of questions. So like, let's take, let's just take a demand gen manager, a demand gen manager, for example, right? They're really the, I'd say the three things that, um, they need to know how to do is campaign design. Um, they need to know how to do copy that converts, and then they really need to do performance analytics. So when I'm talking to somebody that's either in that role or I'm listening for somebody who might be able to play that functional role, I say, okay, great. I'm going to put three buckets in front of you. I'm going to put a label on each of those buckets and you have 10 points. And so I'll say, okay, great. Uh, campaign design, copy that converts and uh, performance analytics. Where do you put your points? And I've given them an even number of points and an odd number of buckets. And what has to happen, the number one, they got to do head math on the fly. Mm-hmm. which everybody sort of struggles with. Some of them, some people don't, but most people, when, most marketers when asked that question are like, I was told there would be no math. Uh, but they, I asked them to do that and they put their points across those buckets and it's like, okay, I'm a, a three, you know, um, a four and a three. And it's yeah. like, okay, great. Tell me why you're a four on this one. And when you get to break down, it really breaks up the conversation into a specific uh, contribution or a skill that you can learn more about really, really quickly. And yeah. if, you're, if you've got 10 demand gen managers, you're going to be able to see across those three buckets where you're strong and where you're weak. Yeah. And you know what I like about this framework is that there's not that many options. Like there's not 14 archetypes. There's four, Correct. right? There's, yeah. not, there's not nine buckets and 50 chips. You know, there's, uh, there's yes. three buckets and 10 chips. You um, got it. And you actually do the bucket thing, like literally, like come into my office, here's buckets. Oh, well, I mean, I, they're figurative. Come on now. But it would be awesome. I, I, it'd be great to have actual buckets in there for each role. But I mean, if you're interviewing 60 people, you got five different teams, right? And then there's all the other, other teams underneath. It's really hard to do that. So it's, it's just a, it's a part of the conversation. It's like, I try to get to know who they are first, understand what maybe their values are really quick. Yeah. And then go into like role and skills. And it's, it's a way that's really helped me go through that listening tour and come out with something that's relatively quantitative for things that are actually qualitative, right? And it, it really does help, help me see the, where teams actually sit in their competency and their ability to answer the question. And some people are super prepared and can answer those questions really fast. And the ones that have been able to do that are the ones that I typically can go, okay, I could put some weight on that person to kind of get started with the new playbook. Got it. Okay, cool. So let's, let's bring this home then. So you've done your listening tour. You've met with each individual team member. You've classified, I don't know what you call those, whether like archetypes or personas, but you've classified yeah, sort just, of their zone of genius, call it. You got it. Um, and you've, you've identified their, their self-assessment across the top three skills required in that individual seat. So yeah. you've got this all laid out. You know, you've got it on a master spreadsheet. You've probably, you know, you're rearranging maybe some chess pieces in your head, but or I don't know what happens after that. Like once you have all those answers, then what? This we're totally in spreadsheet land. Yeah. What I what I'll do is put it in a spreadsheet. 
Um, and then I'll do, I'll also part of the listening tour is from their manager or whatever, what work they have them doing, what current projects that they have and what are the performance of them and just do a red, yellow, green uh, on that. So I get the self-assessment and then get the manager's assessment. And when you're inheriting a team, it's like, that's really all you have to go on. You know what I mean? You can look at analytics and say, Hey, why are we so red here? What's going on? You know, our top of funnel is super weak, you know, and they'll have a reason as to why, but when you've done that bottoms up listening to her and heard the manager's assessment and the, the individual, you know, contributors assessment. I have that in a spreadsheet and I just kind of score where we're weak. So I'll, I'll take the, the organization that I'm imagining that we need to be at and where we are. And I'm looking in the spreadsheet to say, Hey, we are, I sort of heat map where we're going to need resources or where we're strong or where we're weak. Mm. And that's what I do to sort of build out the plan to say, okay, let's kick off with a project that gets us all working together. So we have an assessment, but let's start working together on something that's relatively new or something that, that everybody's familiar with and see how we are working together. And once we do one of those, you really do in about six weeks, you can really understand, all right, our team is going to be really good here. And when you kind of are two months in, right, you need some results. So you're going to say to the CEO, say, hey, I just want to let you know, resource-wise, here's some moves that we're going to need to make. And when I go to the CEO and have my spreadsheet, right, of uh, it's a talent assessment, ultimately, tied to not only my 90-day plan, but also sort of like, here's, here's my forecast for the year based on what we have. Yeah. They're typically like, okay, you definitely have your shit together uh, and I'm willing to give you resources. And that, that's, that's when you show up as a performance-driven head of marketing. You're here to sign up for a number with sales. And yeah. you know how to assess a team. And, and I would say that marketing is kind of like the, the white whale, if you will, for a lot of CEOs. They don't understand it. And it's hard to find you know, good, a, a great marketing team. And I have had really good success uh, with leaders. And it's bought me quite a bit of credibility to come in and say, I'm not just in sort of performance by you know, marketing and I'm going to plow my way through uh, and, and just bulldoze everybody and bring in all my own people. I'm using what you gave me and here's what I was able to, here's what I can do with it. Yeah. And like you go into that meeting, you look like a badass. You're like, look, Mr. CEO, forget about this marketing fluff. I'm signing up for a number. I did a detailed assessment. Here's my spreadsheet. Here's decisively and exactly the, the changes that need to be made. And maybe here's also some extra resources that I need. Let's, let's make it happen. Let's rock and roll. And, and just of course, give that CEO levers. Here, you can pull this lever with this resource and we can do X. You can pull this lever and we need these resources to do Y or we can kind of keep it the same and I can make what we're doing a little bit better. Yeah. And that kind of communication style, I think regardless of who your CEO is, whether they're more of a numbers person or like a big ideas person, like they're going to enjoy that presentation because it's got a little something for everybody. You, you bet. It, it, the level of comfort that you get fast. Yeah. Because uh, I mean, you know, you need that comfort level with your team. So number one, it's like, there's your boss, right? The CEO, and they made a bet on you to bring you in, but then you have your peers, right? You got product and you have sales. And when they're like, the marketing dude just walked in with a bottoms up forecast of what he thought or she thought that they could do for the rest of this year, this quarter, over the next two years. And there's 
actual numbers to prove it and an assessment of the team, it buys all kinds of credibility with your peers as well. And you need that because you really can only go at the speed of relationships and marketing people don't get a lot of runway to build relationships. That's why that tenure is so short. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love this. I love the specificity of it and the structure behind it. And I think that a lot of CMOs and marketing leaders and even leaders from different disciplines that are listening to this, I think will definitely enjoy it and definitely take some value from it because it's just so clear and so structured and specific. Yeah. Yeah. I I hope so. It it is hard watching, you know, some, you know, a lot of us have, you know, CMO friends, head of marketing friends and, and, uh, you know, they're like, well, I'm going to go in with brand, you know, that's what I'm going to go in with. And I'm like, go in with performance yeah. and then back into brand, you know, totally go totally. better for you. Yeah. I think for sure, like CEOs very much, well, some of them do get it. Some of them understand marketing and some of them understand it really well, but they still ultimately only care about the numbers. It's really hard to sell brand. I think for, for most, if not all CEOs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, what a lot of brand marketers try to do is you can put a dollar in and get 10 out. Yeah. But I can't quite tell you how. Uh, and performance CMOs are going to say, um, you can put a dollar in and I can get you four out and can tell you exactly how. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So let's talk about Heartland a little bit. Yeah. Um, cool company. I've, uh, I have heard of, of uh, Heartland before. Um, but tell me a little bit more about your team. I'm curious. I know you've been in the role that you're currently in, I think a couple of years. Yeah. I'm curious about some of the changes that you made, some of the strategies that, you per- that you're pursuing, what you're seeing work. I know that's a big question, but. No, no, I, I, it's one I like talking about. Um, you know, Heartland, so I've been in payments and point of sale for a long time. Heartland's been around 25 plus years. It was a competitor. Uh, when, uh, when I was in the space a few years back and, and so I was a little, man, should I really talk with the, what I considered the dark side at the time, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I met the leadership and I was like, these are different people. This is different. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, Heartland's had 2000, you know, local, locally embedded sales reps for forever selling locally in the U S um, and had really no marketing support at all. They tried two other times to build marketing teams and just basically said, we're not doing marketing two times over. So I was yeah. round three. Wow. And um, what, it, what ended up happening, this is a hand-delivered brand, if you will. So you got 2,000 people that are just building relationships locally and, and selling point-of-sale and, and payment processing and payroll solutions. Mm. And so they really built the business on local relationships. Um, and what... What I came in to do a couple of years ago was say, hey, we need to make something of this, what we already have. We have a heritage. We have a legacy of being approachable, service-first, customer-led, right? We're not a tech-first company. We are relationships or customer-first kind of company. The amount of people that just care all over the place about what happens to you know one of our million merchants that are in our portfolio, it's just it's a really powerful culture. It was like, man, we need to put that on display. And so what, what I came in to do was really the three things. One, build a performance marketing organization. And so, you know, I've signed up for a number and signed up for double every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we owe the business, 
you know, a, uh, you know, twenty million dollars in in annual recurring revenue, new signings uh, this year, right? And and it's one of those things that we're we're ahead of we're ahead of plan in a year like this uh, for small business. Wow. So there's the performance marketing side, um, and I would say that we are largely underfunded as it relates to you know we don't have one to three percent of our total. You know, I, I, this portfolio is about a three point seven billion dollar portfolio. I don't I don't have three percent of that to do marketing. Yeah. Right. So um, that's that's what we came in to do is say, hey, I, I need to drive revenue through marketing, but I also need to provide what I call the Air Force. They, the the sales team really does need kind of an Air Force and a Navy. You know, that can give them some support. So that my goal was that if some uh, if I, they walked in, you know, pulled the door and started talking to a, a restaurant locally. That someone had heard of Heartland and was interested in the conversation, not said, "Hey, I'll talk to you later." Yeah. So that was that was one of the goals. Um, we're making a lot of headway there, and one of our key programs, you know, was this Entrepreneur Studio thing, and that's that's really the thing that I'm probably the most excited about because um, it's the mix of sort of performance and brand, and it's it's probably the thing that's singing the most, uh, you know, right now in, in our group. Cool. I love some of your like phraseology and just the like you're like we owe the business twenty million. I, I love yeah. that, and I, I like love if, the, uh, the army money. and the navy. Like I've heard air cover, but I've never heard army and navy. He's got some yeah. cool phraseology. Yeah, um, I, I don't. I was I was mentored by the guy of a. Uh, I, he called himself the man of a thousand frameworks. Oh, and really? I don't know what I picked up, but it's all this military jargon. So he and I would throw. Well, we're going to be in the foxhole together, you know. Oh, we, we need to give sales to Army and the Navy. <laughs> That's cool. I love yeah, that. So, yeah. Cool. So the Entrepreneur Studios cooking is that like a podcast or more of like a community type of a thing or kind of both or what is yeah, it? Yeah. Exactly? So this was uh, how do we show the world or at least you know the twenty three small uh, twenty three million small businesses in the U.S. How do we show them that we're a part of your community? Uh, that you didn't even know about. And um, so we, we've got kind of two sides. It's really our content marketing uh, effort, but it's reputation building on one side through the podcast. Mm. And on the other side, it's lead generation through trainings and courses, how to start a business, how to pivot, um, uh, how to grow, how to use technology, right? So that's, that's the two sides of the coin is it's one studio, podcast, webcast on one side, and, um, you know, the trainings and coursework on the other. And so there's a, of course, on the trainings and coursework, we trade contact information for content. And that's where we get us, we build our top of funnel. And then on the other side, it's the reputation building with the podcast. Interesting. Um, who do you sell to mostly? I know it's companies, obviously, but are there any, oh, I see the industry area on your site. Um, yeah, we, we do. I'd say if, to summarize, it's probably... Uh, on the point of sale and payment side, very much restaurant uh, and retail. You know, yeah. we've got the In and Out Burgers of the world, but we we I'd say the most of our portfolio um, really is down market with the mom and pops. You know, one to three locations. We do a lot uh, in there because, like I said, we've got a, a, over a million rooftops in our portfolio. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I like how you call them rooftops too. You're just full of cool <laughs> phraseology. Um, yes. Yeah, so, uh, so that is, I think a great strategy, a great technique, like the community kind of podcast plus premium content, build a yep. huge list and, uh, and monetize it over time. 
You got it. You got it. Totally brilliant. Um, I also had another idea for you. Yeah, like, let's hear it. If you have 2,000 salespeople on the street, say, right? Okay. Um, or anybody with a distributed uh, group of like outside sales professionals, if you can get them essentially to set up little Google My Business things for oh, themselves, yeah. like it would be a lot of work. Well, actually, it would be a small amount of work for many, many different people distributed over time. But you could theoretically dominate, like if there's local search, local search. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's an idea we kicked around. It is, it's a it's a badass idea, right? Because I mean, uh, that's the thing that's probably, um, I'd say, an SEO. That's probably the most approachable thing now is local search, yeah. right? Um, everything else has gotten really, really hard, but the local search is like, man, that, that's the thing uh, that you can optimize for and you can manage all your citations, all your, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. And there's tools to do that now, but the, the, you know, Google, my business stuff, and we're a Google partner. Um, and it's, it's like, you know, they use our products, um, and we use theirs. We're a Google shop. Um, and that's one of the things that we've really kicked around. I, I don't know what the roadblocks would be, but I mean, I do agree with you. Uh, do, doing that, having that footprint with uh, uh, the, the Google My Business is a pretty, pretty ridiculous way of owning local search as a national company. That could be huge. It would be a lot of work. It would take a lot of planning. Well, if we do it, I will credit you with the idea. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, um, congratulations. Uh, on on Entrepreneur Studio and on the other successes, I'm. Um, are there any other? As we're on the success side of the equation, any other uh, like key channels or initiatives or campaigns that uh, helped you get ahead of your goal? You know, um, I think the thing that got us really supercharged. You know, we had some big names. Like we had, we've had Tim Tebow on the podcast, Chris Voss. Um, Laird Hamilton, right? Christina Tosi. We've had a lot of really big names say yes uh, and and you know promote um, promote the podcast. And that is the Air Force and the Navy that it's like finally sales is like people watched that. You know, I you know there are there are I've gotten sort of the the proof right that salespeople are like they had seen the podcast, they watched yeah. the Rachel Minkoff episode, or they saw this. So that. I think that that was the thing that um, was really exciting is getting reach through other really popular um, entrepreneurs' networks and their voices. Yeah. Uh, that's the thing that I'm just like, man, it's not every day you get to do stuff like that. That is awesome. That's really smart. Other people's audiences. Yeah. I was just yeah. thinking like, um, I'm a foodie myself. I love just like watching uh, Food Network at night and just like seeing you know cooking shows and stuff. But there's a lot of influencers in that space that would probably draw a big crowd, like Robert Irvine, for instance. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I th- that's the thing is, uh, Food Network. Um, oh man, we had uh, Aaron Sanchez. I don't, you know, we had Aaron Sanchez on the show. I mean, oh, did there, you? There, oh man, there's some, there's some, uh, there's some real influencers there. I, I've, I've been thinking about other ones as well. Like there are other sort of up and coming. I'm going to say celebrities, right on. You know, HGTV on the Food Network, right? The Discovery Network, a couple of those. 
And I think the thing that we learned is anybody that's Screen Actors Guild is like a three to four X premium. And so everybody just south of that is where we're, we're playing uh, for anybody that we need to pay to come, right? Uh, or yeah. anybody that would require some sort of honorarium. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. It sounds like you guys are kicking ass and taking names over there. We're trying. Um, I'm going to ask you something. I want you to be okay. open and candid with me. You got it. For the for the sake of uh, listeners, but what's cha- what are your top challenges? What's keeping you up at night? I'm going to say, you know, I'm in a public company, right? Um, macroeconomic conditions are probably the hardest ones um, to predict. So, you know, we we thrive uh, on you know things like, yeah, we do have a lot of SaaS revenue, but we've also got, um, you know, we we we've got you know, credit card processing volume. And when those things shift and are hard to predict, that's where it gets really tough for a public company because we got to promise the street, you know, at least guidance, right? Got to guide them along the way. And um, I think that's been the hardest one is how to, how to manage expectations um, in an unpredictable uh, environment. And, um, you know, the, the KPIs that we're used to forecasting against, they're changing. So, yeah. I, th- I think that's the one is the, if I were to tell you the, the, if I were to give you kind of one word uh, of what the biggest challenge is, it's our ability to adapt. Yeah. Because um, when you're in moments of change, that's the one, that's where it gets harder to predict. So th- those are the challenges. So, you know, you got staffing challenges. You can't give the same types of promotions that you've been able to do. And there's people that have been working really hard. And you want to be able to get them promotions and finding ways to do that. Those are the, those are the things is how to keep the team engaged and excited about the work because we do cool work, but it's still a job, you know? Yeah. So those are, those are the things that I'd say are the, uh, are the things that bring the, bring that the hardest challenges or the, the sort of heaviest headwinds. Yeah. So it's like, you're, you're not just signing up for a number with your company and with your CEO, you're kind of signing up for a number with all of wall street 100 percent, 100 percent, and yeah with hundreds of millions at stake what's your guys market cap i'm probably in the b's right i think we're 38 i didn't look today with 31 29 to 31 depending on how things have been swinging lately yeah 30 30 30 billion basically that's huge yeah yeah and the street can be so sensitive, like especially in this in this macro environment with like like there's just so many catalysts that like even if you even if you hit your numbers, you could still like with a with an even slightly gloomy forecast, you could really take a hit. We've seen a lot of companies take hits on that. Yeah, it's uh I, I think I think it's just it's hard to predict. And you know, I mean, you know, investors are trying to predict stuff too. Yeah. You know. Uh, so it's just, it's a, it's a challenging environment. I, I will say it's really cool to watch us as a country go through this and as a, you know, sort of finance industry, find our way through it. It's really, really interesting um, seeing the curveballs that have been thrown and seeing how people are handling it. Um, you know, not, I'd, I'd say there is just not like everybody's perfect, but you can tell that there's a finding our way through together that's going on. And I kind of, I kind of like that tone. And at the time of this recording, uh, this is we're basically like nine days away or something from from the debt ceiling limit, and the markets yeah. have not really reacted yet. But today is a pretty ugly day. 
Yeah, today's pretty ugly. I don't get that, man. I don't get what this whole debt ceiling thing is about. Is it's like a dance that they do periodically, but it's like, why even do it? I don't. I mean, I guess I, I mean, do get I, it in theory. It, it does show up, and it it does create the volatility and the uncertainty. And I, you know, don't talk to me as like a macroeconomic uh, pro. I'm like, I'm just the marketing guy. But yeah. uh, I will say it it is a challenging environment, um, and. I, I think it just provokes uncertainty. It's like, is it going to go this way or is it going to go that way? And if it goes this way, here's what's going to happen. If it goes that way, I'm not going to be able to make this deal happen, right? Yeah. Or these mergers can't happen or whatever. And I think that that's, those, are the, those are the swings, man. And it's, it's amazing just how big of a swing things can go from day to day when we're getting up to a, a deadline moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's that really you're... I think that your strategy, which is um, largely community based, I think is a smart strategy. You know, like it's a it's a longer term strategy. Like you yeah. maybe didn't make your quarter this quarter from that, uh, but that relationship that you can create with people, the scale that you can create with that, like that is a really good lever to be able to pull. It's like you know, nearing the end of the quarter and you need a revenue boost. Like that's a that's a built in audience of people that will probably buy something yeah, from you like you could put something on. in front of them and they'll probably some of them will buy it yeah you're spot on and i i kind of look at it because if you think about it you know someone's buying our technology they've got to sign but then they've got to install and they're those are that's when the revenue starts to show up so you know we try to have a really success in marketing and and even in sales new signings we want the first quarter to be our strongest quarter because we want to have all of that, you know, SaaS and processing volume through the whole year. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it is like don't miss the first quarter is the way that we sort of I I encourage the team and as we work with with my wonderful counterparts in sales, it's like, hey, let's make sure Q1 we crush it. We were able to do that. And that that's one of the things that that relationship is one that really matters. And it is a it is a lever. If we can, I'm not only doing entrepreneur studio, right? I got a whole other set of ABM playbooks and 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 just you know standard demand gen stuff that's going on and and organic search that that sort of feeds the rest of the funnel. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it's it's a big one. You got to hit first quarter. Yeah. And uh I want to talk to you about all that too cuz like I said, like you to me are an excellent mix of like CMO leader, like high level, manage manages a large team, leads a large team, but then also like I love that you have like the nitty gritty skill sets too. Um, yeah, you got to come back. I mean, we don't. I wish we could get into it now. There's not enough time. Yeah, but. yeah. Understandable, understandable. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, I had to cut my teeth somewhere, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, um, being a demand gen guy, right? Revenue marketer. That's that's the that's where I cut my teeth being an inbound dude. So. Nice, yeah, paid nice. in organic search is kind of like my my sweet spot. Yeah, cool. Well, um, I am curious. Just one last question on Harlan, and then we'll move to wrap here. But um, what are some things that you guys are looking at? Some kind of future things, or some future initiatives, uh, or areas that you'll be investing in? You know, um, I do think that there are. Um, I do think that there are some there's some really cool things we're trying to do. Uh, I'd say in marketing, we want to do more with this entrepreneur studio thing and be a, become a part of other entrepreneur communities. Mm -hmm. 
Um, the cross-pollination collaboration stuff is what I'd say as it relates to kind of grassroots guerrilla type marketing is sort of community collaborations. Yeah. Um, so that, that's one of the things in marketing. I mean, we're always looking at, uh, meaningful technology. I mean, this Heartland thinks about small business all the time Yeah, and trying to keep our ear to the ground about what small business owners really, really need. It's like, okay, well there's features that we need to go build. Um, and I'd say the, 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 um, how everybody during COVID figured out how to turn on a dime and offer curbside, offer delivery options and things like that at a restaurant. It was awesome. Now we were set up for success on that, but how do we push and the envelope on those types of things? Those are the things that I'd say we're really thinking about is what could we do to drive small business sort of success? Um, Cause I mean that, I mean, I think our core belief at Heartland is, you know, small business is really the, the lifeblood of our economy. And if it stays strong, the economy is going to stay strong. And that's why, yeah. that's why we invest there. Yeah. And ultimately the way to help small business is I think to put more money in their pocket, like anything in the vein of like how to grow, how to grow better, how to grow faster, how to increase revenue per, per diner or revenue per shopper or whatever those things are. I think we'll be pretty much a evergreen seller. You know, everybody wants to earn more. You know, that's, ex that's exactly how we design that part of the entrepreneur studio is all of those financial outcomes. How do I increase table turns? So how do I get turntables faster? How do I reduce wait times? How do I increase average ticket, right? All of those kinds of things. It's like giving secrets and content for them to be able to do that and then have your technology support it too. I think that's a pretty cool, uh, it, it's a part of our strategy for sure. Oh my goodness. Have you seen this? I'll, I'll just tell you this one quick thing and then we'll wrap up. But have you seen the um, the red napkin versus white napkin? It's one of the restaurant tours that I, I forget his name, but he's on Food Network regularly. Um, but he, it's about first time it's a return diners. visitor thing. Yes, yes, it's exactly. so freaking rad. It's a low tech way to do the customer loyalty or repeat business. Yeah, you got. I I heard uh, John Taffer uh, do that with Gary Vaynerchuk. That's where I heard it. That could very well have been it. Yeah, but. I'll summarize just quickly for the audience is basically it's this restaurant guru John what was his name John John Taffer yeah John Taffer you can look him up John Taffer red napkin white napkin but he's like guest walks in ask him a first time guest if it's a first time guest a red napkin goes on the table if not it's a white napkin red napkin on the table everybody knows it's their first guest if statistically speaking, if there's a flawless experience on that first visit, there's a 14% chance they'll come back. If they come back and they get another flawless experience, there's a 22% chance they come back. If they come back a third time with the flawless experience, 73% chance they'll be back. That's a customer for life. You got them right there. Repeat business on lo-fi. Awesome. And he's like, oh, it's first time visitor. You like my chicken? You got to try my ribs. Here's a, here's a coupon for the free ribs next time. Oh man, it's yeah, and brilliant. Then it's dessert the next time. Yeah, then it's dessert yeah. the next time. Exactly, same clip. Yeah. So it's, anyway, it, that that is that is the, one of the most creative ways that every restaurant could do. Every table service restaurant or even bar could do something like that. Yeah, totally. And even I think a lot of B two Bs could do something like that. You know, when it comes yeah. to 
like anybody whose business is such where it's like, if you use me once, there's a 10%, 20% chance you'll be back. You use me twice, it's higher. You use me three or four times, um, which I think like accountants, lawyers, you know, like a lot of these like service-based professionals fall into that category. 100%, man. It's, uh, that is, that is king is repeat business. Uh, and in restaurants, that third visit, that's, that's the, that's the threshold. And that's designing for success as well as having, how do I sort of, how do I optimize for each visit? I mean, and, and which, how far do I need to go to be able to do that? I mean, it's, uh, th- that is designing for success. Every business needs to have some core program that they're running to be able to drive those outcomes. hundred percent, man. Well, this has been really enjoyable. I actually do want to have you back. Uh, for everybody listening, if you learned anything today or if you had a laugh, go ahead and share this with a friend or drop us a like. Um, Chris, this definitely ranks in like you know the top few episodes here. Uh, if people want to learn more about you or Harland or uh, Entrepreneur Studio, where would you direct them? Yeah, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um I think it's, I think it's Chris C. Allen is my uh, um, extension on my URL, and then you know Instagram's always easy. Chris Allen TV, A L L E N. Chris Allen TV, I love it. Yeah, nice, man. Well, um, well, yeah. You enjoy the rest of the day. Um, stay on the line one second. We'll wrap up, and for everybody else, we will see you next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com. That's revenuedrivencmo.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, Web Mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, no hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision.